A couple of weeks ago, we took a look at the TCL 10 Pro and the TCL 10L and came away fairly impressed. This week, we're finding out if TCL can talk the talk as well as walk the walk, even though that's a little backwards, because we have Jason Gurdon and Brad Mullen from TCL to tell their story directly. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Just because we're an affordably priced, you know, uh, maybe mid-tier, mid-range technology company doesn't mean we can't be an innovation company as well. And and so that's kind of where we look at this opportunity with with foldable and flexible displays to be able to say, hey, actually, we can do innovation and we can bring that innovation to market in a really unique way because we are one of the world's leading panel manufacturers, in addition to being one of the world's leading consumer electronics companies. That was Jason Gurdon talking about the future of TCL. You'll hear more about that later. But for now, hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd. And this week, I sat down with two product marketing guys to talk some real talk about TCL, 5G, and foldables and the future of the TCL brand. It's a great conversation, so I hope you'll stick around. But first, of course, we have to get to the news of the week. Arguably the biggest news of the week, Android 11 Beta is available now if you have a Pixel phone. Interested parties need to go to the Android Beta program website and sign up, and they'll get the beta as an OTA update. Before I go any further, I need to put in the disclaimer, this is a beta, people, so if the Pixel is your main phone, you're probably better off skipping this one. But if you happen to have an extra phone laying around that's also a Pixel, go goofy! Android 11 comes with conversation bubbles, which are basically chat heads with 100% less Zuckerberg. These bubbles can be hidden when you're not using them, and they float on top of other apps. I'm not really sure if more chat heads are a good thing or not, but I initially thought they were pretty cool, so I'm leaning towards the cool in this case. Time may very well prove me wrong. Android 11 will also add a new control interface to the power menu. As of now, when you press and hold the power button, you can flip through your various Google Pay options. Android 11 adds smart home controls to that menu. While I appreciate bringing smart home controls to an easily accessible menu, I'm not sure holding down the power button is the right menu. I'm just not sure people will associate I want to turn on the bathroom lights with I want to turn my phone off. Whatever, Google. You do you. Earlier this week on BenefitOfADowd.com, which is a thing, by the way, I published a first impressions piece on the Lenovo IdeaPad Duet Chromebook coming soon to a podcast review near you. The headline reads, This thing is legit. And that's because this thing is legit. I'm not even a week into this review period, and I'm already impressed with what I'm seeing here. In a world where Google has all but abandoned Android and Chrome tablets, this thing is no joke. Is it the most powerful device in the world? No. Is it flawed? Yes. But overall, I'm pretty excited about this thing, and it's kind of the standard by which other Android tablets should be measured, and that's not nothing. 
And just a little sneak preview, before we get to my full review, I will be doing a comparison between the Duet and the iPad 7th generation Not Pro, and that alone, above all else, should tell you how much I respect this tablet. I've been saying it for years, there's iPads, then there's 50 yards of crap, then there's Android tablets. Okay, that analogy works better in Moneyball, but you take my meaning. This tablet may just change that opinion in my head, and I'm excited as hell to test it out. A writer at ZDNet, Chris Matsu... Chris Mats... Oh hell, Chris Spellcheck asked his wife to basically think out loud while choosing a new phone, upgrading from a Samsung Galaxy S7 to either an iPhone XR... Samsung Galaxy S20 5G, Samsung Galaxy S10e, and an iPhone SE. At Chris's request, his wife basically goes through the thinking process out loud to ultimately arrive at her final choice. I won't spoil it, but let's face it, there really isn't a bad choice in that list. And it's actually a pretty fascinating look at the mind of a consumer on the hunt for a new phone. First, starting off with the fact that only Samsung and Apple were contenders from the start, Boy, other OEMs have a lot of work to do. But narrowing it down after that and taking into consideration size, storage, price per month, it's all really interesting and very well written. I honestly should read ZDNet more, and so should you. Anyway, go check out the article, find out what the final decision was. Google Duo is a pretty awesome video chat service run by Google, owner of seven different messaging services. But up until recently, those calls were limited to two people. This week, Duo rolled out support for up to a dozen people, plus the app lets you create links that you can send to friends to join the Zoom. I mean, hangout. I mean, meeting. You know what I mean. There are some caveats. First, you can only do this in the app. There are no desktop apps for Duo, so it is fairly limited. And second, it's a little late. In 2020 terms, we're kind of on the back half of this pandemic thing, which isn't to say we're out of the woods, far from it, but Illinois is trending in the right direction. Knock on wood. Hashtag phase four is coming. Pretty soon, everyone will be going back to work, and I'll be getting my office back. I'm actually really excited about that. Oh, and Google Duo can have 12 colors now, so that's nice. I want my office back. Last week, we talked about a photo going around the internet where, if you made it your wallpaper on your Android phone, your phone basically freaked out and had to be wiped. This week, we meet the photographer whose name is certainly not pronounced Gaurav Agrawal. Mr. Agrawal described the photo as a magical evening because his group was certain they would not be able to get a good sunset shot, but conditions changed at the last second, and he snapped a shot. He made a couple of edits in Adobe Lightroom and exported the final, dumped it into Flickr, and basically forgot about it. Kind of like how I forgot Flickr exists. Anyway, when the photo went viral, he was like, holy crap. He never tried it because he uses an iPhone, Natch, and his wallpaper was always set to a photo of his wife, and no. Okay, man, we're not mad. That's just too cute. Speaking of Flickr, Mr. Agrawal has over 10,000 followers on Flickr and has had his work published in National Geographic, so I guess I'll just shut the hell up. Regardless, it's a great shot. Just don't set it as your wallpaper. This next story is one that actually happened last year, but Looper just picked it up this week, which is how it ended up in my Google feed, which is why I'm telling you about it today. According to VR Scout, who originally wrote the story, Jack Wilmot, who either works in VR or is CEO of a VR company, I've read conflicting reports, but anyway, Jack spent one week in a VR headset, and yes, that includes eating, sleeping, and pooping. 
He wanted to find out if there would be any adverse side effects to living full-time in a VR environment. You know, aside from your arms getting really, really tired of slicing all that fruit, I mean. He used a combination of an Oculus Rift and HTC Vive, and before you ask, he gave himself 30 seconds to switch between headsets. During the day, he video conferenced with friends to counteract loneliness, and at night, he fell asleep to Netflix. At the end of the week, he came out of it mostly unharmed. It took him a bit to get reacquainted with reality that wasn't generated on twin screens, and he also noticed that when he dreamed, his dreams had a VR interface to them, which is kind of hilarious. Regardless, this story flew under my radar a year ago, so I'm happy Looper just picked it up because it was a fun read. By the way, I've linked to both the Looper story and the VR Scout story because they both offer different details of the experience, and they're both a good read. And you can find that on benefitofadoubt.com. Yahoo Finance reports that even though Huawei will not be building the U.S.'s 5G infrastructure they still going to make some bank from us. And the reason is because Huawei holds a crap ton of patents that are necessary for 5G technology. So one way or another, Huawei will be making money off the U.S., so suck that, U.S. government. But that's honestly fine as far as the government is concerned. The point of the entity list is not to keep Huawei from getting a slice of that cash pie. That would be a bonus for sure. But the point of banning Huawei is to keep them from being a critical part of the United States communication infrastructure. In the event that things with China ever get worse, and yes, they can get so, so much worse, we don't want to have a company that lives in China and may or may not be in bed with the Chinese government having a finger on the off switch when we need to send some nuke codes or scramble some bombers or whatever. That's not a good idea. Putting military concerns aside, just imagine for a second what would happen if the internet in the U.S. ever went down. Do you have any idea how deeply and firmly embedded in the internet our society is today? Here's a hint. The next time you have to go somewhere new, don't use your phone. See how that goes. That's why the U.S. government doesn't trust Huawei, and frankly, I agree with them. But if Huawei can make some money off of our infrastructure without actually building it, I'm fairly okay with that. Speaking of Huawei, the headline of the week goes to friend of the show, David Amell, who wrote of his Huawei P40 Plus review, unfortunately great. The camera setup on this phone is balls out spectacular with 3x optical zoom, 10x optical zoom, an ultra wide camera, and an awesome 50 megapixel main sensor. This phone can take photos, yo! Unfortunately, that's about all it can do because of its lack of Google services. David Amell and Michael Fisher both take a look at the optics of the phones while at the same time echoing what Daniel Bader said in our Googleless Android episode, the cameras are baller, but the operating system is just balls. Now, I give Huawei a ton of crap about the lack of Google, even though it's really no fault of Huawei's, of course. In fact, I'm for allowing Huawei to sell phones here in the States. They make legitimately great phones, and if they want to listen into my phone calls or even read my emails, I guess I don't care. Sure, government, don't use their phones and don't allow your employees to use Huawei phones and definitely don't allow them to mess with our 5G infrastructure. But if they want to sell me a phone, go ahead. Just, you know, put Google on it first. And speaking of new phones, Motorola took the wraps off of two new phones this week, the Moto G Fast and the Moto E. According to the press release, the Moto G Fast sports a blazing fast Snapdragon 665 octa-core processor 
And I'm sorry, Motorola, I'm not sure you get to use the words blazing fast and Snapdragon 665 in the same sentence. The Moto G, kinda fast, starts at $199 unlocked and the Moto E starts at $150. The Moto E might be the more compelling of the two devices, if for no better reason than it's $150. That's hard to argue with. I've spent more than that at a Brazilian steakhouse, if I'm totally honest with myself. The Moto E has a 6.2-inch display, 3,550 milliamp hour battery, which Moto says will last for two days, and has dual cameras. And of course, the base model has just 2 gigabytes of RAM and 32 gigabytes of storage, so it may be a non-starter for some of y'all, but still, it's $150. It's insanely cheap. And speaking of insanely cheap, one product that definitely flies under the radar at Xiaomi is its fitness band. Xiaomi is up to its fifth generation of its fitness band, and these things are ridiculously cheap fitness bands. The Mi Band 5 just got introduced, which upgrades a few key aspects of the Mi Band 4, but the kicker here is that this thing retails for under $30, which is stupid cheap. And it probably will eventually come to the U.S., so I'll definitely be giving a look when it does. It sports an AMOLED screen and up to 14 days of battery life, and there's even an NFC variant for contactless payments, though that might not actually make it to U.S. shores. The Mi Band goes on sale in China as of June 18th. No word on U.S. availability or pricing just yet, but they are typically available in the States, so it's really just a matter of time. If you want something to sound evil, replace any C in the name of it with a K. Now, this is an audio podcast, so I really can't demonstrate, but the word recognition is fairly benign. But replace the C with a K, and suddenly it looks like some Russian Spetsnaz thing from the Cold War, and now that I think about it, I'm not sure Spetsnaz is a thing. But whatever, the point is, it sounds evil. So naturally, that's what Amazon named its facial recognition software. Great. Great job, Amazon. That definitely does not sound evil AF. Well, Amazon just placed a moratorium on police using recognition for at least one year while the police figure out how to weed out the racist, bullies, and trigger-happy violence freaks out of their ranks and send them to where they belong, the NFL. Still, it's good to know that the police won't have yet another tool designed at putting people down as much and as quickly as possible, and I feel like I need to clarify my position on police here. I'm generally for police, and I respect the job that they have to do. Then again, I'm also a white guy, so I'm not exactly coming at this from a balanced perspective of late. But these past few weeks have shown police at their worst, and the police at their best. In my neighboring suburb of Elgin, Illinois, a video went viral of two police officers dancing it up with Black Lives Matter protesters, and that's a good thing. But policing is the kind of profession that simply can't have bad apples. We rely on police to protect us and serve us when we are at our lowest, and policing has to be like most public service jobs. You do it because you love it, not just because you want to carry around a gun. And for the record, and getting back on topic, I honestly don't think anyone should have facial recognition software. It's bad enough that anyone who knows my name can look me up on Twitter or LinkedIn and pretty much know everything about me. I don't need software picking my face out of a crowd because some bad guy happens to look like me. So yeah, Amazon, if it is indeed too late to unring that bell, maybe a ton of restraint is in order when deciding to whom you give it. 
Twitter is testing out a feature that asks you if you want to, you know, actually read an article before you share it. Basically, if you're scrolling through your Twitter feed and you see Forbes' latest iPhone has one nasty feature that you should disable right now article, and you hit the retweet button without first opening the article in the app, Twitter's going to pop up a message and say, um, you sure about that? You're about to send this out to your audience and you don't even know what it says. Of course, it will let you share it if you really, really want to. But hey, man, this is censorship. And yes, it is. It's censorship to the uninformed. And frankly, they deserve to be censored because they're morons. Of course, once you open the article, you're welcome to spew it wherever you want because that's America and America great. Or at least that's what I think the feature is because... I never bothered to read the article before I reported it to you. And suck that, Twitter. At the end of the week, Sony held its big event to reveal a boatload of PS5 games that will be coming to the platform, and they showed off the device itself, which kind of looks like if the Transformer Bumblebee and a Stormtrooper had a baby inside a trash compactor. The main star of the event was Miles Morales, a.k.a. the Into the Spider-Verse main character, which looks pretty cool, but... I'm not a gamer, so what do I know? Other games in the presentation included Gran Torino 7 and Hitman 3, which... Okay, I guess they're games. I'm really, really not the right person to talk about this stuff. We covered the specs on the system earlier, but it's basically going to be a super powerful PC in a squished box. It'll be great, or so everyone tells me. I'm sorry, have I mentioned that I'm not a gamer? And finally, the first official trailer for Bill and Ted Face the Music dropped this week, and it's... Excellent! Sorry. We're starting to get an idea of what the movie will be about. Apparently, Bill and Ted, the great ones, wrote a song to unite the world, and surprisingly, it wasn't God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Rather, it was a song that Bill and Ted have been trying to write for the past 30 years, in between shooting The Matrix and John Wick, of course. But since Bill and Ted are no longer on the friendly side of 40, it's crunch time. So their brilliant idea is to go to the future and steal the song from themselves, which technically would not be a copyright violation, so well played on the loophole. I'm just happy they're still bringing William Sadler back as death. The trailer still says summer of 2020, so Bill and Ted are nothing if not optimistic. You might be asking yourself, how can I help out a show like this? Well, right off the bat, the best way you can help me out is by leaving a review for the podcast. I'll be honest, I'd prefer if you did it in an Apple podcast because that's where a lot of people are going to be coming from. But if you can't do that, you can leave reviews in Stitcher, Podbean, or Podchaser. Those will help too. They'll help other people discover this podcast, and since this is a brand new show, discovery is a wonderful thing. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadowd.com slash support. That's benefitofadowd.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options, all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadowd.com slash support. I hope you visit, I hope you review, and as always, I thank you for listening. TCL is making a strong push into the mobile space with its own brand of smartphones. And while I had one big question I wanted to ask, TCL is also kind of a fascinating company. So I invited Brad Molin and Jason Gurdon, who are the first and second voices you'll hear respectively, to talk about TCL, TCL-branded phones, 5G, and foldables. It was a great conversation with two awesome guys that I've known for years, 
So let's dive right into it. Just a few weeks ago, we took TCL's first self-branded smartphones for a spin and found them to be remarkable first steps for a company relatively new to the smartphone space. But TCL isn't new to the smartphone space. As an ODM, TCL has built brands such as Palm, BlackBerry, and Alcatel, and only now is putting its own sticker on smartphones. And it's a well-known sticker because if you have a TV in your house, there's a fairly decent chance that it was made by TCL. Phone Wisdom is a Twitter name that I would kick a sack full of puppies to have. Brad Mullen has told stories from both sides of the page, first as senior editor of mobile at Engadget until crossing the divide to craft the stories for companies like Qualcomm and OnePlus, while with Weber Shanwick and now with TCL. Jason Gurdon has been in the consumer electronics space for over a decade, telling the stories of such well-known brands as Blizzard Entertainment, Plantronics, and most recently, BlackBerry, Alcatel, and, of course, TCL Communications. Now they are both spinning new tales, not of a licensed sub-brand, but of TCL's own line of smartphones, and in the not-too-distant future, perhaps foldables market as well. The story started with TCL's Plex in late 2019, and continues today with the TCL 10 Pro and 10L, with much more to come. Jason Gurdon and Brad Mullen, welcome to the podcast. Hey. Hey, thanks for having us. Gentlemen, welcome. It is great to have you, and um, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk some TCL shall we? And I want to get started off by, I want to ask the, the most obvious question that popped into my mind back in two, late 2019 when we first heard about the TCL Plex and then at CES about the 10L and the 10 Pro. TCL has been an ODM for years now, bringing us phones from brands like Alcatel, BlackBerry, and Palm, and more. What made TCL decide that the time was right to launch its own line of phones with its own name on it? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so this has really been something that we've had in the works for really a number of years. Uh, this wasn't just something that we you know, decided uh, at a whim. And it really all goes to the much wider TCL consumer electronics product portfolio that we have. So as all of those different parts of it were coming together from our TVs and audio products to our white goods, you know, home appliances and all of that, uh, it became clear that we needed to have mobile as the central point of, uh, you know, that portfolio. Uh, obviously, it's hard to do when you have licensed brands such as uh, Alcatel, BlackBerry, or or even Palm, which we actually own, but we license out. But uh, at any rate, it's hard to do that in that uh, more cohesive portfolio when you have a licensed brand that doesn't match up to the rest of the TCL portfolio. And that was that was really yeah the the key point, and we see mobile as being uh, sort of the hub of all of those other pieces uh, in the CE portfolio. So that's a long version. Okay, all right, that's a, that's a good version. I like it. So you mentioned that mobile is going to be a central point to your portfolio. That's very lofty aspirations for a company that has, fo- yeah, I mean, I, I think honestly here in the States, TCL is most known for TVs. And so putting mobile at the center of a portfolio like that seems like a, a pretty dramatic shift. I mean, yes and no. Uh, so it's not a dramatic shift in terms of where our focus will be. Uh, you know, TV, you're right, is a very strong part of our business and very strong part of the TCL brand. Uh, it's more the focal point. When I say mobile is going to be the focal point, I mean that more from the, the position that if you think about the smartphone, it, it truly is the first screen in our daily lives. It's the first thing we mm-hmm. see when we wake up. It's 
more than likely the last screen we look at before we go to bed. And, and we take it with us outside of the house where, you know, our TV just kind of stays there. And certainly it's a, a central piece of our, our home and our daily lives in that sense. But uh, the phone really is the, the smartphone really is the controller for the home, right? From your IoT products mm-hmm. to your, your TV, especially now that we have more smart TVs, uh, pretty much everything that we sell now. Under TCL is a smart TV uh, in the United States. It's mostly Roku. Um, and then uh, in other parts of the world, we have uh, a lot of Android TVs that we work with. So um, yeah, that that's what I, I mean from a, a focal point. I think typically when, when you look at all the different consumer electronics that we have in our possession, um, there are certain ones where you can tell exactly what the model is right off the bat. Like, Hey, you know, I have, you know, such and such a phone, but how often do you, are you able to do that with your TV? Like you may know, Hey, this is a TCL. You you may know that this is a Samsung or so on and so forth. But I feel like the smartphone is, uh, you know, just as Jason was saying, it's a central part of our lives. It just connects every aspect of our lives. Um, and especially when you look at our, our, our portfolio for TCL. So yeah, I would, I would say, you know, this is kind of a sense of pride for us um, to have a smartphone. Like we know the name, we know the brand, you know, this is something that we interact with more than anything else in our lives. Nice. So I want to talk about the journey a little bit that TCL's taken into the smartphone space. Um, what was the most important thing that TCL learned from previous iterations as like, from, what did it learn from being an ODM that, that is going to benefit it becoming an OEM on its own, in, in, on its, of its own right? It's a terrible way to ask that question, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's interesting, right? So you say ODM, but I mean, we were still making our own products. We just were using a licensed brand name, right? So, so sure. Um, so we weren't necessarily starting from scratch, but I think, so, so there was a lot that we learned from, uh, devices that we've made in the past that are influencing what we're doing now with the TCL portfolio. Uh, you know, so one of those things, uh, for example, was the idle line within Alcatel. So our, our Alcatel idle devices were, uh, let's say more premium and, and certainly more, uh, entertainment feature focused and whatnot. So mm-hmm. that helped influence what we're doing, you know, on TCL and how we've evolved, uh, what we wanted the TCL portfolio to look like and, and what experiences we wanted to focus on, certainly. And, and just in terms of, you know, consumer response and what users like, what users don't like, even down to how we work with our partners, guys like Qualcomm and and Google on Android. So, yeah, I think, you know, the the interesting part for us is, yeah, again, since TCL is a new brand uh, on the mobile space, but it's not it's not like we haven't been learning along the way for the last 20 plus years that we've been making mobile devices and and, uh, mobile phones. So um, what has TCL learned from we, you talked before about the greater portfolio of TCL, including, you know, consumer electronics of all shapes and sizes. What has TCL learned from the manufacturer of those other consumer electronics that it can now bring to the smartphone space? That's a good question. Uh, when we look at the competitive space, 
you know, for us, it, it wasn't so much about, you know, how do we emulate or copy what others have done? Um, I think you're kind of crazy in our industry if you're not taking some key learnings, uh, more so of maybe what not to do. Um, you <laughs> know, when things don't work for others, maybe you don't try to replicate that mistake. Um, hopefully you're learning from that of others. And, and we've all made them along, you know, the, the way in this industry. Uh, for me, I think the biggest thing that we've learned is just keeping true to ourselves. And what I mean by that is um, for TCL, our core ethos has always been about creating great value for our consumers, right? This idea that, you know, as maybe altruistic and cheesy as it sounds, but, <laughs> you know, realistically speaking, great technology shouldn't be priced out for the mass market. Yeah, and and uh, you know, adding to the premium, the discussion of the premium at the mid range. I mean, you take a look at the Ten Pro, and you know, you you, you talked about this a little bit in in your review. Um, the Ten Pro build quality looks much more premium um, than the price range or the price in general would uh, suggest. Right, four hundred fifty dollar mm-hmm. phone, but you know, the the build quality looks like it's a phone twice the price. Right. So, you know, I think this is uh, definitely a lesson that we have learned over time is being able to, you know, have a device that, that you can be proud of going back to the, that sense of pride. I mean, I pull out the 10 pro show it off to everybody and, (laughs) you know, it's something that I can absolutely be proud of sharing with everybody. Hey there, enjoying this interview? Did you know that there's over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up in the bonus version? The full interview is available to my patrons over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like uncut interviews, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of a doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt there are more great options for helping me out at benefit of slash support that's benefit of slash support you'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefit of slash support i hope you visit i hope you support and as always i thank you for listening Um, one thing that I did want to ask, when you announced the TCL 10 series at CES, there were not two, but actually three phones that you that you brought up, one of which is missing from the lineup at the moment. I was wondering if you could tell us anything about the TCL 10 5G. Yeah, so the TCL 10 5G was always going to come a little bit later, just if you look at where 5G networks are. Uh, right now, you know, every, all the operators are still working on that. Especially You've been reading US. my work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, you know, that was always going to be kind of more a second half of 2020 type thing. And, okay. and maybe even more so now with this whole Corona thing taking over our lives. Uh, you know, it's, it's maybe uh, caused, you know, some of that to to be pushed back a little bit, but not really, I, I think on a large scale. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I'll let Brad kind of give you more of the insights for North America specifically, because I, I know a lot of people are wanting to understand what does this mean for the U.S. But if we think about the global 5G market, actually, in a lot of ways, Europe is maybe a little bit more ahead of the curve. Um, and same also goes for parts of Asia. So you'll start seeing the TCL 10 5G uh, coming to markets in Europe. Uh, in other global markets starting this summer okay, uh, and then uh, rolling out later this year. Right. And, uh, you know, one of those other markets being the U.S., uh, we can say that it is coming to a major uh, U.S. carrier sometime cool. closer to the end of this year. We can't really get more into details yet, but, you know, it is coming. It is going to be under $500, which is a huge milestone, especially when it comes to 5G devices. Um, right. You know, one one thing that um, I, I, I want to talk about a little bit here is, you know, we are focused so much on the mid range. Obviously, all three of these devices, to your point, um, got uh, pre announced, so to speak, at CES. And, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that we teased was that all of them would be under five hundred dollars, which is which was a huge deal. Um, uh, even even now, I don't think we've seen any 5G devices come under that price point, at least here in the U.S., not sure about the the other markets in the world, but in the U.S. can confirm other markets. I want to say we have seen uh, sub five hundred, but yeah. So, right. but at the U.S., obviously, we're still uh, relatively new into the five G network. So, having something at that price point is is huge, and I think this is a, a major step in in terms of getting consumers on board with five G. Right. Mm -hmm. I think up until now, it's been, OK, this is this is great 5G. Um, you know, it sounds like wonderful technology, but it's also only on these flagship devices that you have to spend a thousand dollars or more for. And right. I, I think now we're finally able to say, look, you can have a quality 5G experience at the same price that you can have any of these other wonderful mid range phones. So instead of having to, you know, pay a premium just to get the newer technology. Now you can have that just included as you normally would with any other phone. TCL has been showing off um, designs for foldables since the beginning of the year. And I wanted to ask a few questions about that. First of all, how close are we to seeing a foldable from TCL? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I, I think let, let's maybe take this from a, a broader perspective first and we'll kind of whittle it down so i think sure. we're just as an industry we're at a place where everybody's super excited about foldables for obvious reasons um i think least of all being that there's something different the biggest mm -hmm. challenge right now is if you kind of get outside the bubble of our industry the the reality is they're a novelty item uh, at the moment yeah. Certainly what foldable, flexible AMOLED displays will allow us to do. And, you know, we, we showed a concept of this earlier this year with our, our rollable uh, screen smartphone. You know, one, we're not just talking about smartphones, right? We're, we're talking about tablets. We're talking about pretty much anything in our homes or in our lives that has a display in it could theoretically be a foldable, flexible device somewhere in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's the thing that we need to focus on, right? Um, that, that it doesn't necessarily need to be a smartphone. 
because I think if you just focus on a smartphone, you're you're going to be saying actually, when we talk about like a foldable smartphone, that's just a solution looking for a problem. But if we do think broader terms about where we could put a foldable or flexible OLED display, that conversation gets a little bit more interesting. Right. Sure. And, and talking about concepts, um, you know, we do have around three dozen different concepts brewing in the lab at the moment. So this is something mm -hmm. that we are looking very carefully at. And, you know, all these different concepts, obviously, we've only shown maybe four or five of them, and all of them are wildly different <laughs> from each other. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them were brand new concepts that, that no one has seen before, like the, the rollable uh, smartphone, which is my personal favorite. But you also have like the the trifold as well as the the wallet and you know so there's so many different form factors out there that we're we're trying to figure out okay well what makes the most sense uh, from a consumer standpoint like what are you know because all these concepts are great um, they're fun to play around with fun to look at um, especially uh, when you look at the perspective you and I just loving uh, new technology this is such an exciting new for lack of a better term, a frontier of, yeah. you know, it's been a long time since we've seen anything besides just your standard black slate device. Right. Sure. Um, I remember last decade or I guess two decades ago now, the, the aughts where it seemed like every <laughs> single smartphone coming out was a different type of form factor. And I feel like, um, every manufacturer out there was trying to just throw things at the wall and see what stuck um, see what people would latch onto functionality wise and ultimately just evolved into this, into that standard black slate, which is still a great device, but we're not seeing anything new. Um, right. So, so I think there's a lot of great opportunities for us over the, the years to come looking at some of these concept devices. We just need to figure out, okay, well, what makes the most sense in terms of functionality? Um, you know, what are, what are people going to find, um, the most use out of? And, you know, there's there's so many different ways that this could go. Yeah. Side note, the rollable is also my favorite. So I, I <laughs> love to get my hands on that thing. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, so um, one quote that I came across was from a, your general manager of global marketing, Stephen Strait. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, he said that foldables are, quote, probably the main reason we do TCL smartphones. I was wondering if uh, you could speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I, it really goes back to, you know, the larger TCL uh, business, right? So we, we have not only the consumer end products, but we have the vertical integration with our own manufacturing and our own technologies that we develop. And that's primarily in the display space. And so what, what Stefan is talking about there is the idea that with a TCL branded uh, mobile portfolio, whether that's a smartphone or a tablet or CPE device or whatever, it, it gives us an opportunity to now bring that vertical integration and showcase our technologies in a way that isn't just based on TV alone, but now can come into the smartphone space. And that's why you see the foldable program and the flexible program that we have and why you see us showing these concept devices, because we do want to showcase that just because we're an affordably priced, you know, uh, maybe mid-tier, mid-range 
technology company doesn't mean we can't be an innovation company as well. And, and so that's kind of where we look at this opportunity with, with foldable and flexible displays to be able to say, hey, actually, we can do innovation and we can bring that innovation to market in a really unique way because we are one of the world's leading panel manufacturers in addition to being one of the world's leading consumer electronics companies. So it's, mm. it's a really unique position that we have. Uh, it's not something that we've talked about a lot in the past because you know, going back to what we were discussing early on, right? It doesn't make sense to bring TCL display technology and start trying to do an Alcatel foldable, or maybe, uh, you know, we, we bought this up way earlier, uh, or this conversation came up way earlier, I think even last year, you know, it doesn't make sense to do a Blackberry foldable necessarily, and certainly mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to do a Palm foldable. But yet when you've got the TCL brand, now suddenly it all comes together and it it starts getting interesting, right? So, yeah, it's it's just an opportunity for us to to really showcase our innovation. Great, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and for coming on. And I hope that we can uh, have you on again. Maybe sometime we could talk about some five G or some foldables, and that would be uh, that would be epic. So thanks, yeah, th thanks very, th yeah. thank you very much, guys. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> thanks, Adam. <laughs> All good. Thanks, Adam. Take care, man. Be well. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'd like to thank Jason Gurdon and Brad Mullen for coming onto the show and telling the fascinating story of TCL. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work on the podcast. And of course, above all, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.